All right, tonight we're lucky to have Rob Green as our speaker. He's with Trail Life. He's a uh, He's a pretty fascinating guy. I met with him for breakfast one morning and uh, with Jeff uh, Gaffney. And I thought we were just going to go there and kind of get an idea of what his rundown is, kind of what he wants to talk about. And uh, I ended up spending what, spent about what, two hours there? And, and I tell you what, I, I was pretty exhausted when I got there that morning, I had a lot going on. I met with Rob and I left there, man, I was pumped up, ready to go. It, <laughs> A lot of you guys know me, if you get around me and I start talking about God, I start getting really excited, get pumped up. Rob had me going, man, I was ready to go out and knock some people out and get, get people saved and start preaching somewhere. I mean, I was fired up. This guy knows a lot of what's going on. He's very connected with men. He's also very connected with, I guess, with these, with uh, the trail life. He was with Boy Scouts for a while. And when Boy Scouts started this LGBTQ stuff, he said, I've had enough. He resigned from, he's one of the only executives that, the only one that did, right, that resigned from that because of his beliefs. And that says quite a bit. I don't know how many men would give up a job that he'd been there for a long time and said, you know what, this is not where God has me going. And I think God gave him a good path of direction where he's at now at Trail Life. So without further ado, I'm not gonna give all of his bio because he said don't give out everything because he don't want to be the big center of attention. But listen, he's a really awesome guy. He will pump you up. You're gonna have a lot of energy when you leave here. He gives a lot of good information. So Rob, come on up. Wow, okay. God wants his word to transform your life. I'm absolutely sure about that. I can prove it from the Bible, and I promise you I will. So God wants to transform your life with his word. The problem is I have 40 minutes to convince you to want that too. Because this is God's will for you, to love who he is, to love his word. And my job's kind of hard and it's kind of easy. The words I talk to you, come out of my mouth tonight, are going to kind of pass through one ear and out the other. But God's word will remain. In fact, the word says it endures forever. Jesus says, my words will last forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will last forever. So I have the distinct opportunity to show you from God's word what he wants for you, every part of your life. It could be your work life, your thought life, the things you spend your time doing. God's word has transformative power. I'm going to talk about that tonight. I'll also share some of my story, as Lee was mentioning. Um, 1 Peter 4.11 says, if anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things, God will be praised through Jesus Christ, our Lord. To him be glory and power forever. Amen. I wrote some notes because I tend to do what Lee said. I tend to start going and just going in rabbit trails. And so I'm going to try to keep as much as I can uh, to a cohesive thing going not tonight. So um, I want to start with this sword of the Spirit. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Bible as a whole or certain parts of it, but the Bible has a lot to say about itself. So I'm going to read a number of passages to you tonight. And if you have your own copy of God's Word, feel free to go along with me. I'm going to start in 1 Peter chapter 1. 
And I'm in verse 23 through 25, and it says this. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. See, our knowledge of God comes through his word. I just, I think back thousands of years ago and you think, how could God display his glory on the earth? Well, he wrote us 66 love letters that talk about who he is and just display his glory. He uses general revelation of the heavens. Some of you guys probably know Psalm 19. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day, they, day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the world, their words to the ends of the earth. It says, in the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, which is like a champion rejoicing to run its course. It rises from one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. This is the way that God displays his general revelation. Every morning he brings the sun up and it travels across the sky and we all benefit. And we say, where is God? You can see his glory all over the place. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. I hope you guys think about this weapon that you have in your hand when you carry God's word. And it's in your mind when you carry his word in your mind. Anybody familiar with Ephesians chapter 6, the full armor of God? You guys with me? Somewhat? Okay, we'll get to there. But I think you'll notice when we get there that God's word is called the sword of the spirit. It's the only offensive weapon we have. I mean, think about it. You got the breastplate of righteousness. You got the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the fiery darts of the enemy. You've got the helmet of salvation. You got the uh, belt of truth. And did I miss anything? gospel shoes. You got the shoes. But the only weapon you have that you can use against the enemy is your sword. It's God's word. You guys ever notice that when you look at that passage in, in uh, Ephesians 6 that there's no armor for a Christian's back? You ever notice that? There's nothing because you can't turn and run. You're in the battle. You have to face it and fight with your sword. I, I think if you got all that armor on back in the day, and you did not bring a sword, but you just showed up, people would laugh at you. Yet we walk into battle all the time without being armed with God's word. Okay. Isaiah 55, 11. I'll start in verse 9. It says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that comes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I, what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So that's why I have an easy job tonight. Some of y'all are like, I can't wait till the speaker gets done. But God's word will penetrate your heart. It's not my words. It's God's word. So if you hate what I say tonight, you're, in the wrong, you're hating the wrong thing. Because it's God's word, and he's going to do what he does. I want to 
I'm looking at the crowd tonight, and I look toward the back, and I see my three sons here this evening, as well as some friends and some guys I don't know. Would Michael and Jake and Matt stand up for a minute? They're back there. I'll show you my three sons. So there they are. So Michael with the beard up front. Yeah, you can clap for them. They're good guys. So Michael with the beard, he's going to turn 30 in about a week. And so he's given me my first two grandkids, a third on the way. Yay, Michael. Okay. And that's Jake back there. Jake is about to turn 27 in another week. They all have last of September birthdays. And uh, Jake is married as well, and he's given us a grandkid. Yay, Jake. And so Matt, <laughs> Matt's 24. He's, a, he's on the way <laughs> and, uh, and has not given us grandkids yet, but I know he will. So the reason I call these guys to your attention is I'm thinking back when they were little. So 30, 27, 24, right? Now's your time to say you don't look that old. Yeah, thank you. Anyway, so I was thinking back when they were little, and we used to have, there used to be three boys in a tiny room. Pretty much all that was in there was a dresser and their beds, and you'd slide one drawer under another, and it, those were their beds. But we had hanging over the doorway Psalm 119, 9 and 11. Do you guys remember what it said? How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. That's verse 9. Verse 11 says, what does it say? I have, hidden your, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This is what God wants for young men. He wants a godly dad and a godly mom and a family to bring up sons and daughters who follow God. And that's what they have done. As an older guy now in my mid-50s, I can identify with what the Apostle John writes in 3 John verse 4. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. There's no greater joy when you're an old guy. And pretty soon it'll be, I have no greater joy than to hear that my grandchildren are walking in their truth. But the fact is, I mean, you can want money, you can want fame, you can want ease, comfort, pleasure, whatever. But when you get older, you're going to value what's true and right and lasting. And that's what I value, that my sons and my daughter and their sons and daughters are walking in the truth. And so will you guys when you get older. Deuteronomy chapter 6, I'm going way back. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. That's what we're supposed to do. I did not grow up in a Christian home. I grew up in an atheist home. And my dad believed in evolutionary science. My mom believed in humanism, human goodness. And so we never, ever went to church. And I did not have an upbringing that had God's word in it. So when my dad left our family, as he had the families before ours and before that and before that, that's the only example I had of a, of a father. And growing up as a young man in South Florida, my upbringing was my friend's. They told me what to believe, what to buy, what to do, and so I did it. 
because that's all I, all I knew. It's all I had. And you had TV and stuff to raise you, but if without a dad, you do what your friends do. And I remember my very first contact with the Bible. You guys remember the first time you ever saw a Bible in your life? Probably not, because you've always had one around. So I was watching a football game on Sunday afternoon, and there was this crazy guy in the end zone between the goalposts, and he had a rainbow-colored Afro wig on. Who's my age in here? Anybody 50 and, 50 and above? You guys remember that guy? Crazy guy. He'd, and he had a John 316 shirt. And somebody, me, me or my sister or my brother, said, what is John 3 dot dot 1 6? Somebody said, I think it's a Bible verse. So I was like, who's got a Bible? And they're like, well, Dad had a Bible. It's a, sorry about this, but it's, it's in the bathroom under his Playboys. True story. And so we went and got the Bible out, and I read out loud to my family, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I closed it up and said, hmm, threw it back. <laughs> you know, didn't make any difference. But now I look back, and I see all those things, I'm like, God uses all kinds of stuff. The crazy guy in the Afro wig, the your dad who's abandoned you had a Bible in the, in the bathroom, and you pick it up and you read something. It all makes a difference. So I remember growing up in high school, uh, I joined FCA because one of our football coaches actually was married, and he had kids, and he was nice to them. That's all it took. I was like, whoa, what an example. <laughs> so Bob Spano, wherever you are, thank you. And so Bob Spano was an FCA guy, and also he was our defensive back coach, and I wanted to be a starter, so I thought I might as well join his club so I can get in good with the coach. So that was the extent of my religious upbringing was FCA. And all of a sudden, we would pray before the games, and everybody would do the Lord's Prayer. You guys all know the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven. Well, I didn't know it, so I'd go, <laughs> and I'm like, i got to learn that prayer. So I went to the chapel, and I said, can I come to your church and learn that one prayer? And he's like, sure, come on. So I went down to the local Methodist church, nothing, nothing against Methodists. Went down to the local Methodist church, joined up. They said, oh, you're, you're good, you're in. Get your, your sprinkle, uh, just come every Sunday, you'll be good. And I'm, oh, that's all it took, great. And so I went, and my, my mom started going, my grandmother started going, and we all went to church together. And so for the next two, three years, that was, that was what it was. I got to college, and... Yeah, I got to college, and I was doing a lot of things that probably some of you guys did, and it was gambling, it was pornography, it was uh, drugs, it was alcohol, it was the things that, that you know you're not supposed to do, but I didn't have that conscience. I didn't have that feeling that this was bad. I thought, this is great for a while. So... After a while, it got empty, and I started feeling kind of bad about it, and I was like, I wonder why I feel bad. Well, I had determined that the reason I felt bad was Christians. They were trying to put their morality on me. They were trying to slap me with all their rules and regulations and make me feel like I'm a bad person because I like to go out and, and get around. So uh, some friends had given me a Bible, and I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to open up that Bible, and I'm going to find all these contradictions in it. I'm going to prove these do-gooders that they're wrong. You guys want to know how that came out? Yeah, it pretty much was convicting. And so after a while, I was like, wow, this is probably true, this Bible stuff. So you know what I need, probably need to do 
is reform my life. Be a good guy. So go to church more, read my Bible, pray, try to do good, help little cats out of trees when they get stuck up there, help the old lady across the street, you know, good stuff. Well, I did that for a couple of years. And one day I was at, uh, had gotten kicked out of college and I'll tell you guys, I also had a number of near-death experiences before I was a, a believer and I'm just glad God never took me. But some of them were, I got run over by my own car. Try to do that. Uh, I had spinal meningitis. Uh, I hit a seawall water skiing and spent weeks in intensive care and missed a whole semester of college. In fact, when I got to college, the Brown Daily Herald, which was our newspaper, they, somebody saved an article for me. It said, water skier dies in Florida. I was famous because I was a dead guy. It's really cool to be the dead guy when you show up at college for the first time. Anyway, so I had a number of things that happened. And, and the other thing I can't understand how God does this, but you guys probably go, you know, I've never really had a near-death experience. You don't know. You don't know how many times you were driving down the road at night and God prevented that drunk driver from coming across those two yellow lines. Or many other ways he has saved you over and over again for a purpose. You don't know. Because many times as a stupid teenager, I drove home half awake or half drunk or, or should not have been on the road. And God prevented somehow me from dying and other people from getting killed. And so I look back and go, wow, he had a purpose for all this. So anyway, I'm at, at college. And I'm trying to be a, a, a good guy and go through the religious stuff. And a couple of real Christians came up to me. I thought they were weirdos. And they said, what's up? You're falling down drunk at the fraternity parties on Friday night and Saturday night. And then we see you at the community church on Sunday. And I was like, oh, yeah, I got it all, man. Got it going on. I, I got a party lifestyle. I got a foot in the, the world and a foot in the kingdom. I'm all set. And these guys said, no, it doesn't work that way. You're either all in or you're not in. And so, of course, I dismissed what they said, but I took their literature, and one of them was a little pamphlet from Campus Crusade for Christ called Four Spiritual Laws. Well, Four Spiritual Laws is basically God created you to have a relationship with him. That's law one. Law two is all people mess it up. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So you're separate from God. There's this big gap between you and God. Law three was Jesus Christ came to bridge that gap and reconnect holy God, the sinful man, by taking the sin on himself. And law four was you got to accept it. Don't just assent to it and go, that's great. Way to go, Jesus. It's actually accepting him and taking that into your life. And so I was looking at that and I was reading the Gospel of John. They gave me a Gospel of John booklet. And I got to this place in John chapter 3 where it says, I tell you the truth, you must be born again. Born of the Spirit, born from above. I'm like, whoa, I don't know what that is, but I know I'm not that. At the same time, I was in that four spiritual laws tract, and it has this two pictures in there of two lives, two circles representing your life. One life is a circle with a throne in the middle, and it has self on the throne, a little Jesus outside of the circle, and all of life's events making no sense, just in disarray, total craziness. Has another life, and it shows Jesus on the throne, a little self bowed down to the throne, and all of life's events making sense. And it says, which life is yours? Well, that was obvious. And it said, which life do you want to be yours? I'm like, that's obvious. The good one. 
And I was at the same time reading John chapter 3. And I remember all of a sudden knowing that my life was in total disarray, not worth anything, and God was somehow offering me his life in exchange, his perfect life in exchange for my totally depraved life. And I knew he was not getting a good deal. But I bowed my head and prayed and said, Jesus, if this is true and you're really who you say you are, I really want this. Can you change me, all of me, now? And he did. October 14th, 1987, I was in my third floor bathroom stall of Delta Tau Delta Fraternity House. Not a very romantic conversion, is it? And uh, Jesus Christ came into my life and changed everything. Immediately took away my desire and participation in gambling, pornography, drugs, alcohol, illicit sex, or anything else I had ever done. He took the desire away. Now, I don't want to, I'm not saying this has to be everyone's story, but I'm telling you it's my story. And so, I was engaged at the time, and my fiance was coming up to stay with me, to live with me, while she was going to find a place. And I called her, and I said, you can't come live with me. She's like, why not? I said, because I'm a Christian now. And she's like, what were you before? I'm like, I don't know. I guess I was a fake and a phony, but I was not a Christian. And so you can't come up and move in with me the day after tomorrow. And so we worked that out, and she called me crazy and decided she'd move back to Florida. And my friend said, you'll be, get over your little religious kick in three weeks, and you'll be back at the parties with us. And guess what? It's been 33 years. Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still does miracles. I still need him as a savior. I haven't arrived. I have all kinds of issues still, as guys who know me in the front row and in the back row can attest. But the fact is, he's in the changing business. I'll read you this from Paul, the Apostle Paul, in Philippians chapter 3. He says, Not that I have already attained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He starts you over, he puts you in a new direction, and you press on. James chapter 1 says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Then he says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word and does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he'll be blessed in all he does. James chapter 1, 19 through 25. 
we as believers have God's Word in front of us. It's planted in us. It can save us. Not that God's Word saves us, but that the Word of God, Jesus Christ, saves us. His Word is a, is a guide for us. But we got to do what it says. I think in today's life, we have kind of easy believism. We're like, yeah, I go to church on Sunday, and yeah, I'm saved. I said the prayer back when I was eight years old or whatever time was for you. But God's Word calls us to do what it says. 2 Timothy 3. Pastor back there is like, get him, because he knows what's coming. It says this about the Scripture. How from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instructions. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to tell them what their itching ears want to hear. If we don't know God's Word, if we don't memorize God's Word, if we don't read God's Word, we're going to be subject to all kinds of crazy teaching. You're going to believe what the news tells you. Whatever channel y'all listen to, (laughs) you can't. God's Word endures forever. God wants you to know His Word and to love His Word and to do His Word. So just in that little passage, he says, preach. Preach what? The Word. Because there's going to be false teachers. God's Word is full of promises. Jesus is sometimes called the Word of God. In Revelation 19.13, it says, He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and His name is the Word of God. Don't miss this stuff about God's Word. I'm hoping that y'all not only fall in love with God's Word, but that you're convicted if you're not really loving God's Word, if you're not into it. Imagine what would happen if God's Word, Bibles, y'all probably have 10, 12 Bibles at your home. What if they were confiscated and you couldn't read them? What do you do then? You have it in your heart. You have it in your head. You can memorize God's Word. Um, John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through Him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and lived for a while among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning Him. He cries out saying, This was He of whom I said, The one who comes after me has surpassed me because He was before me. From the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing after another. 
For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the only Son, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. John chapter 1, 1 through 18. If you remember passages like that, you won't go wrong. Can I get an amen from somebody? Think, think about what happened in that passage. Jesus is called the Word. He's called God. He's called Son of God. He's called the Light. He's called the Life. He's called everything. Later in that book, John 14, 6, Jesus replied, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Sounds pretty narrow, but it's true. So there's all kinds of things that just by memorizing a small verse or a couple verses or a passage, you can put in your mind about Jesus, and no one can deceive you. I'm not trying to sound proud, but no one can deceive me about Jesus. I know exactly who he is, because you know why? He's exactly who he says he is. We can't be deceived when we have his word in our hearts and carrying it around. John 1 is transformative if you remember who Jesus is and keep his view in front of you. Um, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, brothers, I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. So the transformation comes from, starts in your mind, but it transforms all of your life. Suddenly, if your mind is transformed, you're in touch with God's will. You understand God's will. You don't have to say, I wonder what God's will is for my life. Anybody ever wonder that? You don't have to wonder. <laughs> it's very clear. It's, it's in Scripture. Okay, so... I want to tell you something. I'll try to remember this in verbatim. So this is Colossians chapter 3. I better get the first word so I remember what it starts with. And then I'll see if I can quote it. Colossians 3. Yeah. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Anybody convicted yet? There's lots more. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of, image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another, and as you sing with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This is a real popular one with ladies. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. A couple more verses. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there's no favoritism. Colossians chapter 3. I tell you how I remember that. It was about uh, October last year. I was at a ministry conference in Dallas. You were there, Mark. And um, I was driving down a road, and a pastor comes on the radio, and he says, you can memorize more Scripture. And I'm thinking, I do pretty good. I memorize a verse a day. Go down to Planet Fitness and share it with somebody. Do it all the time. But he said, you can memorize a whole chapter of Scripture. In fact, you can memorize Colossians chapter 3, which I just quoted. And I was like, I don't know if I could memorize Colossians chapter 3. And then the guy said, you're probably thinking the same two excuses everybody else has. And he said, here's why you don't memorize Scripture. Here's your two excuses. You ready for them? You guys already know what they are, but I'll share it with you anyway. One, I don't have time. And two, I just don't memorize very well. Are you guys with me? Were those your two excuses? Yeah, okay. Everybody had the same two. But then the pastor says this, I can prove to you that you have enough time and you can memorize. I'm thinking, I'm in my car, I'll just listen, I'm driving along. He said, if I were to give you $5,000 for every verse you can memorize by the end of the week, how many would you memorize? And I'm thinking, hmm, I bet I could do three a day. 21 verses in seven days, 105 grand I'd rack up. And then I thought, you know what? I wouldn't. I'd get up an hour earlier and stay up an hour later and memorize five verses a day times, that's 35 times 5,000. That's $175,000. Woo! But then I thought, no, I wouldn't. I'd call my boss man and I'd take a week off of work and I would study scriptural verses all day, every day, and learn 10 a day. And I would have 70 verses, 10 a day, right? 70 verses, $350,000 by the end of the week. So I ask you, for $350,000 in a week, could you memorize 70 verses of scripture? I know you could. I know I could. And then he said, God's word is worth more than that worth more than millions because it's all you're going to care about. The only two things that last for eternity are the souls of people and God's word. Not riches, not your marriage, not your kids, although we love our kids. We want them to be in heaven with us forever. 
I'm saying on this earthly life, the only two things that go with you are God's word, because they last forever, and souls of people. And so I was like, wow. And then he said, then the pastor said, so memorize Colossians 3. So I decided I would. And I went to this conference, and I told a guy I was going to memorize Colossians 3, and then I forgot about it. A couple days goes by, the guy calls me, and he says, hey, I'm going to memorize Colossians 3, and you should too. I'm like, that's it. I'm going to do it. Here's how you memorize. Are you ready for it? I'll give you the secret. Decide to. Write that down. It's really important. Decide to. That's it. Also, you get a pen and you write a verse or two and you look at it a few times. You write it again, look at it, and just leave it there. And when you pass it in the bathroom, you look at it. Then you write a couple more verses, look at it. Pretty soon you've got the whole chapter of Colossians 3 and you've reviewed it enough times in your mind. It just kind of comes natural. I had it memorized back in October. I had to kind of re-memorize it for this, but it's always here. You guys don't probably think about this because someone's just quoting it, but Colossians chapter 3 applies to all of life. Every day something happens to me, and I'm like, that's Colossians 3. <laughs> what to avoid, what to do, what to give up, what to grab onto, what to live for, what to not, what to do with your kids, what not to, how to treat your wife, how not to. All those things come up over and over again. Colossians chapter 3, let me think what else it says. It, in the first couple of verses, it says, You have been raised with Christ, therefore you will also appear with him. It's one of those already not yet things that happens in Scripture where God's promises are so absolutely sure that they've already happened. Maybe I should repeat that because no one said anything. God's promises are so sure that they've already happened. You have been raised with Christ. If you're a believer, you've already been raised. I know you feel like you're sitting here listening to me for what you think is five more minutes, but it's probably like 20. <laughs> Just joking, it'll be like five. But you have already been raised with Christ. It's a guarantee. His Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing the inheritance that you have until the coming of Christ Jesus. Colossians chapter, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14. So I'm going to give you some things on how to live. I'm going to flip through pretty quick. Um, guess who overcomes this world? You're probably wondering, like, there's a big election coming up and COVID's all over the world and who knows what. China takes over everything. I don't know. In 1 John 5, verses 3 to 5, it says that everyone born of God overcomes the world. So if you're a believer, you're going to overcome all this. If you're not a believer in Christ, if you haven't been redeemed by him, you're in big trouble. 1 Timothy chapter 6 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we could take nothing out of it. If we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Flee and pursue. Flee evil, pursue righteousness. Are you guys with me? Now, the Colossians 3 passage and the 1 Timothy chapter 6 passage if you're not a believer in Christ, if you have not been born again by His Spirit, it sounds like a long list of things you can't possibly achieve. And guess what? It is. 
you can't possibly do it. Isn't that great news? I remember hearing that and I'm like, oh man, there's no chance for me. You can't do it on your own. When you're born again, God's Spirit comes in. He lives with you and stays forever. He doesn't come and leave. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Romans chapter 8 equates being a believer in Christ with having God's Holy Spirit living within you. If you have His Spirit, you're His. If you don't have it, you're not. You can't live the Christian life without His Spirit empowering you. It's not possible. I can tell you, be godly, be joyful, have peace. And you'd be like, I don't have any of those things because you haven't been transformed yet by Jesus. But when you are, all those things are possible. What else? Titus chapter 3. I'll share one. There's only one verse I know in the book of Philemon, and it's verse 6, and it says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of all the good things we have in Christ Jesus. Isn't that crazy? You think about sharing your faith as something you do for someone else. I got to see that guy get saved. Sharing your faith, sometimes you're preaching the gospel to yourself. So Paul says, I pray that you will share the gospel so that you will have a full understanding. So please share the gospel, if for no other reason, just to remind yourself of the great things you have in Christ Jesus. Everybody's face in here should be like super joyful right now because we have an eternal inheritance that's guaranteed if you're a believer in Christ. Let's see. Uh, I'm in Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of, our, of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Christ Jesus our Savior, so that, having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Amen. You know what He calls us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? He says this, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Try to, try to grasp that for a minute. In him we become the righteousness of God. We don't become God, but we wear his righteousness. It comes on us as a clothing, as a garment. We, we are his righteousness because he said we are because he made it so, not because we earned it or tried to get it. And so this is how we're to live now as his ambassadors, taking his message everywhere. We're not to grow weary. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, it says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. God wants us to meet together as men. God wants us to sharpen each other as iron sharpens, as, as iron, sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Proverbs 27, 17. 
So we are to get together. We're to sharpen each other. I'm supposed to give you something. You're supposed to give me something. And we're supposed to grow together. So don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Keep going to church. Keep gathering as men's group because God wants that, that type of unity, that type of fellowship. I want to talk about love for a minute because we need each other as unity in the body. There's a verse that's real complicated. I want you guys to help me understand it. John 13, 33 and 34. It says this, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. There's one more. It's even harder. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. There's a deep meaning in here somewhere. I just got to grasp it. Can somebody help me? What is it? <laughs> yeah, it's love one another. It, he hit it in there three times. But love one another. So that is the goal. And if you're loving one another, then the world knows that you're his. You guys remember this song, my sons? Beloved, let us love one another. You're not going to sing it, are you? For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Beloved, let us love one another, 1 John 4, 7, and 8. So if you have trouble memorizing Scripture, just put it to music. You know the hooked on phonics thing? That really works. You learn a lot out of kids' gospel songs. Uh, I'm not going to keep you much longer, but I'll just tell you this. Ephesians 2.14 says, Jesus himself is our peace. If you don't have peace, it's just because Jesus isn't your, every, your everything yet. If you have like discontent and stuff kind of irritating you and you can't get over it, Jesus is your peace. He didn't say he's a road to peace or a path to peace or one avenue of peace. He said, I am your peace. Contentment, if you're the number two guy or number three guy in your company, you're not the boss. Let me tell you what God has done in the Bible with number two, number three guys. Think of Joseph to Pharaoh. Nobody really remembers Pharaoh, but Joseph has biblical history forever because he was a faithful servant in God's household. How about uh, David? David was a number two guy to Saul. He waited his turn patiently, and David is the one we remember. What about Daniel? Daniel kept going through kings and pharaohs, and they would all promote him all the way up to the top, and then a new one would come, and he'd slide back down again and go all the way back to the top. And then we don't hear about those king's names. We hear about Daniel because those guys were faithful with what they were given. So don't worry about your position or what your title says, but be faithful where you're serving. Two more, defeating strongholds. You probably wonder, hey, I've got this stronghold in my life, and I want to get rid of it. Well, let me give you this. For though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, ours have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Please don't think that we are going to save America by voting the right way. Please vote. But you can't vote in the Savior, no matter which side of the aisle you're on. Please don't think that ranting on, in Facebook or some other social media and winning a war of words is winning. Please don't think that owning a gun to protect yourself is going to really protect you. Please don't think that being the big, strong guy 
tougher than the next guy is what you need. God is your protection. God is your shield. God is your strength. God is your fortress. And his weapons are not the weapons of this world. God's will, I'll close with this. First Thessalonians chapter 5 says this, and it's really simple. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He could have said, go be the king of the world, but he didn't. Pray, be joyful, give thanks, always. Last one is something I want to tell uh, a verse, two verses, that I tell people when I get a chance to talk to men and their, their sons. It's about passing on discipleship. It's what you're all called to do if you have sons or grandsons or coworkers or neighbors. It's this, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. Your job, well, my job is to give you that. Your job is to find someone else and to give him that. But that someone else you find needs to be someone who will then pass it on. Disciple making is not one pass off. It's passing it on to the guy who will pass it on, who will pass it on, who will pass it on. Don't stop at one. Don't stop at one generation. You're all here, thankfully, because Jesus put in 12 disciples who found 70, who found thousands, who have worked it on down through the generations. Discipleship, if it ends in one generation, it's all over. You've got to keep multiplying. And so the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Thank you, and let's pray. Father, we do praise you. We thank you that whatever words were spoken, that if they're mine, they're gone, and if they're yours, they penetrate hearts and live forever and grow and pass on to future generations. I pray, Lord, that your word would be a light and a lamp into our feet and a light into our path, that the guys in this room would just leave here tonight with a deeper love for your word and that they would say, hey, that has the answers for my life and I want more of it. And I ask that when they go home, they'll open it up and learn more. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. Guys, I want to thank Rob for coming out tonight. It was a really good speech. Um, as he was talking, I'm back there listening to him. And a couple nights ago, we were down at the Rusty Bucket for our men's uh, uh, night of worship. And I was telling a story, and Rob kept talking about this. Man, I was back there just bouncing off my head. And it said, when, remember when Sully was playing the plane in New York and it got struck by the birds? And the plane went, you know, started having trouble, and he immediately took action, landed it in the Hudson, and had no problems with the plane landing, lost nobody, and the plane stayed together. I told this story that night, and what happened was, when that plane got hit by those birds, Sully didn't take the time to pull out the manual and go, what am I supposed to do when the plane is struck by birds? I need to push this button, push that button, pull the lever, 
dodge here, swing here, land it in the Hudson. Nothing like that. Sully knew what the manual said. Sully had been practicing the manual for years. Sully had been uh, studying and actually training other pilots on how to do this manual. It's the same thing that Rob was talking about tonight. The more you know scripture, the more you know God's word, the more that you actually just live it. And it doesn't mean that, and, and I agree with Rob and learning scripture. To me, it's more of living it. Are you an example of who Jesus is? I told this to my three sons. You don't know who's watching, how you're acting, that God is putting someone that's watching you and saying, what is different about him? What's different about this man here? And they'll eventually, they may either figure out, they may come and ask you, they may ask somebody else that knows you and says, what is it? So be sully. I always tell, I, I counsel men, and, and I want to let you guys know that we also have uh, uh, a program here where we minister to other men, and we go one-on-one. -on -one. And I always tell the men that come to my house the same three things. There's three answers to every problem in your life. Scripture, prayer, and serving. I don't care what's going on in your life. Those three things will solve it. And what Rob was talking about is very true. Spend some time in Scripture. Spend some time learning it and then start letting it live through you. The more you spend time in it, the more you're going to be like Sully. And it's, I think it's Psalms 119, 97 through 106 or something like that. I mean, I can't quote it like Rob can. I mean, I wish I could, but I know it's something to the fact it tells you exactly about learning Scripture and how you're living it makes you become an example for Christ and that other people will follow that thing. And he's talking about discipleship. In a men's ministry, I'll tell you this, and I challenge every man out here to do this, whether you go to Brookwood Church or not, and I'll challenge this to Rob Green because he did it to me the other day. I'm doing this program, and he did it to me the other day when I spoke with him. Church is kind of shut down right now. We're not doing the same programs we normally do. A lot of other churches are doing different things. Find five men in your life, five. Find your Timothy and your Paul. Find someone that's going to dump into you that's going to train you, make you a disciple, make you be a better man, who's advanced in his walk more than you are. Find your Timothy that you can dump into, a new Christian man that's excited and ready to go, maybe a young guy that's younger than you, ready and fired up, and he wants to learn something. But find three other men that are just pretty similar to who you are. And take that time and go in that circle and meet with them regularly, maybe once a week, maybe once a month, but meet one, two, three, four, five men on a regular basis. You're having church with each other. And, then and if Rob is one of my guys, I'm going to challenge him to go find five other guys. And that way we're all staying connected. And you're trying to train each other and develop each other into better Christian men. It's creating disciples. And it's exactly what Rob said. Find men that want to be discipled, that want to be able to go out there and teach other men that's excited about it. I mean, he just inspired me listening to him say that it wasn't part of the final thing, but he used to talk about there was just bringing it back. But look up Psalms 119, 97 through 106. It's something good to read. But uh, he's already closed out in prayer. So before we leave tonight, if you guys want to hang out and talk some, you can. You can leave as you want to, all right? Thanks again, Rob, for what you did. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. If you were encouraged by this message, you can learn more about our men's or young adults ministries here at Brookwood by visiting brookwoodchurch.org forward slash adults. 
or you can call us anytime at 864-688-8212. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time.